basically the skill of sati um, is a skill that needs to be developed uh, so that you need it when you you get it when you need it that you want it to be on standby all the time and that uh, generally it's not and that in fact uh, the proof that it's not right there on standby or right there is because we still have negative thoughts so in fact uh, sati is not there a lot because the uh, the normal random thought process is generally the thing that's is in operation so we actually do need to develop the skill of sati in the sense that sati means to remember and if you can't remember to do something then you're most likely not going to do it it's not going to happen automatically but there is the case where um, things do happen kind of automatically um, an example of that is that when uh, mindfulness occurs, when, when sati occurs, when we wake up, one of the most important things we do is take a deep breath. Right? But there are many times when people take a deep breath that's not in sati, uh, which means that it's automatic. An example of that would be when someone is surprised <gasps> and they take a deep in-breath, but there's no mindfulness there. In fact, if there was real strong mindfulness there, then they wouldn't have gotten surprised. Something wouldn't have snuck up on them or something. Okay, so basically this skill of sati is the number one skill that needs to be developed. And that... Um, generally, because we're not in mindfulness, we need to actually practice it as a skill. In other words, we sit down with the absolute intention to be as mindful as we can. And so we go ahead and we take objects. Now, basically what we're uh, actually doing, the Buddha has an analogy for it that is based around the word seclusion that in fact the word seclusion means um, uh, there's a basic two-step process. The first seclusion is to seclude the hindrances that will be there in the outside world. All kinds of things can happen. Dogs will sit on your feet. Ants will bite. Mosquitoes will be there. Uh, the police come to the door. All kinds of possibilities. Um... Uh, but there's also an internal way of looking at it in the sense that the hindrances are also inside the mind and that sati is being developed so that we can um, get rid of the hindrances on the inside. And in fact, that's the way that we normally practice because often the hindrances that present themselves from the outside are huge. They're big, they're, load, they're loaded down, and so we actually need to get away from uh, that world so that we can practice sati um, uh, as, as, as it's a beginning kind of thing. All right, so 
Um, an, an example of that would be someone who is learning to do jigsaw puzzles. Like a little child, you'll give them a puzzle that's got 25 pieces and they'll struggle with it. If you give them a jigsaw puzzle that's got a thousand pieces, of, they're lost. They can't. There's no struggling to get it together. There's nothing. So that first puzzle then and get some into puzzle making and our puzzle completion and they develop a skill. The same thing is true about many games. An example of that would be Sudoku. And that there are games that are listed for beginners and, and those listed for experts. And the beginner cannot do the expert games. They're lost. Okay. So we have to think of hindrances that way too. That let's get it down to what we can deal with so that we can develop that skill of sati and begin to uh, massage that muscle and getting it going. Now, the, the Buddha has an example of this, and the, uh, one of the places this, this example is in uh, the suttas is in sutta number 36 in the Majjhima Nikaya. And the analogy that he gives is um, actually, my translation is log in a bog to help us remember this analogy. Uh, the log in the bog uh, is a, a tree that's fallen over, and um, over time, the, the log gets more and more waterlogged until it begins to sink. That when the, when the log just first falls into the water, uh, it only displaces a little water. But after it's been there for a long time, it could actually sink because it's completely waterlogged. Now, the story is, is that a fireman, and in the time of the Buddha, they had professional fire makers. In nowadays, the fireman is the man to put the fire out, but in the Buddha's day, the fireman was the guy who professionally built fires, and he had all of the equipment that he needed to do that easily. So, the question is, can the fireman come to the bog and get that log and set it on fire? The answer is no, because it's completely saturated with water. So that's like the, the, the normal student. When we first get med uh, introduced to meditation, it's very much like trying to set a log on fire that's completely saturated with the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the next point is, is that, well, if we take that uh, log out of the bog and put it up on the shore, now can uh, the fireman set it on fire? And the answer is no, not really, not yet, because it's completely saturated with water still. But if we leave it there in the sun so that the water seeps down to the bottom of the log and the top part of the log gets some sun and dries out, now we can set that log on fire. This is the way also that we have to practice our meditation. So the first thing we've got to do is get the mind out of the world to get it in seclusion, to get it away from the world, because this is the time when we're actually going to practice. This is also one of the excuses that, that uh, teachers use to get students to do retreats is to go get your log out of the bog for 10 days and let it dry out. 
but we can do a little bit of drying out every day. We can get that log out of the bog, and every day it gets a little drier. But we have to keep dragging it out of the bog. We have to go take that sitting time to sit and practice. And if we practice more and more, then that sati that we're developing while we're sitting will become a little bit more available throughout the day. You'll begin to re remember and wake up, especially as we're practicing more and more frequently throughout the day and practicing more intensely for shorter periods of time, we'll wind up developing this sati, which means we really do have to practice. We really have to sit down and practice. So how are we going to do that is to make sure that we are uh, that's that's the main job that we're doing here. The main reason to sit down is to remember to remember. Okay. And so the easy way to get it started is with Anapanasati step one in the sense that uh, and it's in actually in the sutta this way to note or to understand the in-breath on a long in-breath, and then to note or to wake up to the long out-breath as a long out-breath. And so every in-breath and every out-breath, there's two points of sati that we're remembering that we're looking at the breathing. This actually, all of that sati now begins to develop. But yet the mind will wander away anyway. Well, when it does wander away, never mind, start again, come back and start watching that in-breath and start watching that out-breath. This is the method of developing the sati. Now, surprisingly enough, as we begin to manage the breathing, as we begin to control the breath, it begins to slow down. We're intentionally slowing it down. We're intentionally also mindfully making sure that this is a long, deep in-breath and a long, deep out-breath. While doing that, there's plenty of time for other stuff. Sorry, uh, Damarata, you cut out for 10 seconds. You said, while we're slowing it down, we're also what? Um, there's plenty of time for other stuff. Okay. Okay. So sati is just once on the in-breath, and sati is once on the out-breath, and if that uh, in-breath, out-breath is lasting, um, let us say, um, 10 or 12 seconds, then during that 10 or 12 seconds, there's plenty of time, 10 or 12 seconds, for the mind to wander away. Yeah. Uh, so the in-breath and the out-breath, I guess, would cut that down to uh, every six seconds we have sati. But then that six seconds will be plenty of time. And in fact, people ask, well, um, what should I take as an object? The answer is, well, first, we've already taken the breath, the in-breath as an object, and we've taken the, the out-breath as an object, but that's two different objects in a way. But more to the point, Anapanasati is not taking one object and keeping one object. That in fact, this is not a one-focused or a one-pointed type of concentration exercise. 
that this this is to give the mind freedom not to strap it down okay but uh, the there seems to be a bit of a quality to it and so an example that I often use for students is the quality of, of reading that you learned when you were a child to read and now that you're an adult you picked up the habit of reading and so uh, people as adults they generally read in two different ways each person of us sometimes we read one way and sometimes we read the other way sometimes we read in the way that we're curious we're interested we want to know what's going on we start reading it we pay attention to it we've got it and at the end of the paragraph we're still watching and we still know what's going on inside of this text and in fact we're able to apply the mind to this text and sustain it on this text but a lot of the time we don't read like that a lot of the time we start reading something and then we think about it we get a concept and then we think and then we read a little bit more and we build another uh, concept and then we read a little bit more and we start to think about what we're reading and pretty soon we're only thinking while the eyes are going along the page very well doing the reading but the thinking process has overridden the perceptional process so that somehow our perceptional system is now paying more attention to the internal mechanism of thought than it is paying attention to what the eyes are doing. All right? This is mindless reading or no sati. We have to remember to read. Even when we're reading sometimes, we have to remember that we're reading this stuff and basically we have to work at it and remind ourselves and keep reading it because we're lacking something and that is absolute intent interest when we're curious and really interested in a piece of literature that we're reading it's not a whole lot of work to keep focused on what we're reading all right well let's look at that with in the uh, sense of Anapanasati because basically the di only distinction is here is instead of reading a book we're reading what's going on we're reading what's going on we're paying attention to it we're focused on it and as um, reality unfolds on a moment by moment basis that's like going through the word but we can stop paying attention to what's going on and start listening, in fact, to the internal dialogue, and that's when we lose our sati. We've lost our, um, uh, our breath. It goes back to normal, and then, we, then the mind gets uh, a bit dull again. And we need to notice that quickly. We need sati. This is the point in time when we really need it. When do we really need it? When we've lost it. <laughs> it's, it's almost like water. As long as you've got water, there's no interest in water. But as soon as you've lost it, now we need it. Now we've got to go do something. Okay, so this is about sati. We, we're beginning to understand we need that stuff, so we need to cultivate it. We need to keep pumping it up. So and this is why we keep going back to our sitting practice so we can begin to develop this thing so that the mind does not wander away so much. So that we can keep that sati going on the in-breath and on the out-breath 
and now the rest of the time we're going to be using it to guard the mind in the sense of making sure that the kind of thoughts that we're having are not going to pull us away from that breath. Okay, so this is back to the concept of two kinds of thoughts. The kind of thought that we're going to allow are the kind of thoughts that are associated with what we're doing right now. We're practicing Anapanasati. And that and the emphasis is upon sati. To watch the breath, to remember, to watch the breath, to watch the breath. And we're going to make sure that the mind does not create something that's going to pull us away from being able to watch the breath. So in a way now, we're not only controlling the breath, we're also controlling the mind because we're not going to allow unwholesome thoughts to come in. But in fact, what are the unwholesome thoughts? There you go again, there's the hindrances. So if any hindrances come back, and naturally that's going to pull us out of this state of um, uh, the sustained mind that's sustaining itself in the wholesome. So practicing well over and over and over again to remember to come back to sati. We want to, uh, to sit down and practice that um, on a regular basis. But we also want to practice it so that we can remember throughout the day more things. We start paying attention more to what's happening outside because we're beginning to get the inside more cleaned up. In other words... Basically, the whole point is to get out of our own mind into the here now, and then when we go out into the world, we're going to go out into the world in that here now way rather than in our old habit patterns of the way that we've dealt with the world. So a lot, so we're practicing in seclusion here now so that we can practice that much more difficult kind of practice of being here now when we're out in the world. That makes sense. Okay. So this is um, uh, the, the the sati is then we want to repeat that. It's not like sati occurs and then the mind wanders away again and then it goes away again and goes away again and then sati comes again and we do our little routine and then sati's gone. No, once the routine starts up, we want to keep hitting that sati. We want to make sure that we are wake on that in-breath. This is, in fact, an in-breath. I'm noting that this is an in-breath. Now, when I say noting on the in-breath, it doesn't mean that i got to tell myself this is an in-breath, because I already know that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to think it at that level of thought to tell myself that at a verbal level. We can see it at a much deeper level of thinking. But the sati is still there. The sati is, I know what I'm doing. I'm taking a deep in-breath. I know what I'm doing. I'm taking a long out-breath. And by, by practicing that over and over again, uh, that, that builds up that quality of sati. And that's one of the major skills that needs to be developed. And, in fact, to be able to continue to do that takes a bit of effort. Here's one's right effort the effort to start breathing this way. But we also need to take the right effort of making sure that the mind is, in fact, out of hindrance 
and in a good state, into a good state. We have to actually actively work on, on that. Aha, I see you, Myra, to get out of it and stay out of it. Wow, this is nice. This is a good place. This is really good. Is That's the kind of language that we have to use yeah. in the gladdening the mind. This is the kind of thoughts that we want to have, thoughts that are really wholesome, really valuable. The kind that's of thoughts been, that has to do with investigation. Go ahead. That's what I've been having a, a very difficult time with, is like the, uh, the, gladdening, the gladdening the mind. Um, I mean, I even start judging how I'm gladdening the mind, where it's like, I'll be sitting... Mindful of my breathing, and then I'm like, okay, glad in the mind, and you know, I, I try to be aware of like uh, nice things that are that are happening, and just like aware of sukha, aware of like uh, um, satisfaction. But then like, and I guess this is the mara, or this is the dukkha. But then it's like, okay, am I even doing this correctly? Um, is that like really satisfaction? You know, etc. And it kind of goes down that loop. Mm -hmm. So it's. It's yeah. It hasn't been straightforward process. Got it labeled properly. Exactly. This is doubt. Okay. And the doubt has to do with this is not good enough. Mm -hmm. It's very much like the child sits down at the piano, and uh, Uncle Tommy teaches the child chopsticks. Okay. And after a while, now the child can play chopsticks. And everybody in the house knows that the kid is playing chopsticks and they go like that. But then the kid says, wait a minute, that kid over there can play real music. Hmm? Isn't that what you're doing to yourself? Here you are learning to play chopsticks, thinking that, well, wait a minute, where's my Chopin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the answer to that is, let's be satisfied with what we're doing right now. Yeah. Rather than doubting what we're doing right now, being insufficient what we're doing right now. Yeah, I've got joy, but it's not enough. But that's just more hindrance. Mm -hmm. This hindrance stuff is really sneaky. <laughs> you make it sound so simple, but then it's always so... <laughs> it's tricky. It, it is sneaky. Yeah, it's sneaky, yeah. it's tricky. The mind is like that to get back into the same patterns that it's normally in. Right. And the answer is, aha, I see you, tricky mind. Mm -hmm. But that's just half, right? You have to see it, and then you have to let go. Well, uh, the, the joy comes into the, aha, I can see you. Because now, it, that's almost like the outbreath. It's like, oh, I saw it, you know. And so uh, that, that tricky uh, mind comes out. And when, when it does, then we can relax. We can take the relief. That, uh, the, uh, one of my favorite suttas, number 119, which is talking about jhana, um, it really does emphasize that point about that the sukha is born of the um, seclusion from the hindrance. And in, in fact, the chasing out of the hindrance is almost like 
it's like almost like sitting on something really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then you decide, okay, I finally I'm going to uh, relieve myself of that discomfort, and you pull it out, and then you sit down, and now it feels good. Okay, this yeah. is the quality of emptiness. When the Buddha talks about emptiness or sunyata, we're actually talking about the lack of something, and in this regard, we're also talking about most specifically the lack of or the loss of the dukkha and that we can take great relief in that emptiness or in that loss oh wow i'm so glad to get rid of that one it's a relief it's very much like sitting down some heavy object that you've been carrying um like maybe even uh, something as ridiculous as a suit of armor. And here we go walking around in this suit of armor for many hours, and then we finish whatever we're doing with that suit of armor, and now we can take it off. Yeah. And oh, it feels so good to be able to get out of that suit of armor, because in fact that suit of armor was for, put it on for protection, but it wound up being a prison. It, it just seems like I'm so attached to that suit of armor sometimes. Like where I'm like, okay, yes, uh, just, you know, let go of the, the, just the, the mind, the internal thoughts and just be with the present. But it's like, and then, but then there's the thought of like, oh no, like there was something important going on in the mind. Like I, I shouldn't just forget about it. I needed to hold on to it. And the answer is, aha, I caught that one too. Let me throw that yep. one out and I can relax again. That's always the answer, huh? Always come back to relax. Anything that you can think of doing that's going to take you out of the state of being at peace and relax, you can say, mm-hmm. ah, that's a hindrance. Out it goes. Mm-hmm. Because you are in the habit, like all Western people that I know, of in finding problems to solve, telling ourselves how important these problems are to solve, yeah, and then making us do the problem solving and all of the tension and all of that when in fact, guess what? Humans have far more technology than they need and they're far more unhappy than they need to be. If there was somewhere, somehow or another, we could swap some technology for some peace of mind, it would be really worth the effort. Oh, yeah. On a society basis, but also on your own level your own personal level. So whatever it is that you want to do, you need to start taking a cost-benefit analysis in the sense is, is this really worth doing? Because most of the stuff that we've been doing in our life, we, we did it because we were told to do it at one time, and now we're telling ourselves that we should do it. So part of the investigation or part of the waking up process would be, for instance, when that thought comes of this job to do, you can analyze it, what's the point? Yeah, I'll do it later. The An example of that is going to the bank. I've got to go to the bank. When do I have to go to the bank? Well, I'll really have to go sometime this month. 
But every time I think about the bank, my mind is going to the bank. That's a lot of work I don't need to be doing. So every day, three, four times a day, I'm thinking about going to the bank for 30 days without actually going to the bank. And when I did go to the bank, the only thing I had to do was to collect the papers that I needed to collect. Well, I collected those papers seven or eight times this month. Making sure, making sure, making sure, but it's not time to go to the bank yet. When it's time to go to the bank, we'll go to the bank. So why have I even bothered to think about going to the bank? Other than that moment in time when it's time to go to the bank, let me gather the papers for the first time now and go. The answer is fear. It's because I never was sure that I had it all together to go to the bank. Okay, that's that, that's that loser's position. We're not ever sure. There's always that doubt until you begin to see that doubt. And then you can say, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I don't have to doubt about that bank. I don't have to think about the bank at all. I can sit here and relax and have a, uh, a nice moment instead. I think that the doubt has been my, at least lately, my biggest hindrance. Everybody's got doubt as a big hindrance. Good yeah. that you're willing to admit it. But that doubt keeps the mind spinning. Okay. Okay. So, how are we going to get rid of this doubt? The answer is, is through uh, knowledge or through wisdom. As opposed to rummaging around in the darkness, we're going to go shine a light on this stuff. We're going to start taking a look at it. Okay, so I will describe to you now the three kinds of doubt that you will have to deal with on your path. Okay. And the kind of doubt that you're having right now is in fact the kind of doubt that's the first kind of doubt that people have to go get over. And that's the doubt of, um, I, I talk about it in kind of personal terms, but we'll get around to the example of what's really going on in a moment. So I'm looking for a mommy. I doubt that I can do it myself, and so I won't help. I'm looking for a mommy, because when I was a little kid, mommy would help me out. Then I'm looking for mentors, and my mentors will help me out. And so I go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a doctor or a lawyer or an Indian chief or an accountant or someone because I always need help. I can't do it myself. Okay, there's very much of a loser's position, and the more sophisticated our society gets and the more complicated things get, the more specialties people will, will have. So that the accountant will have a lawyer and the lawyer will have an accountant. And sometimes they work together, but it's not necessary, okay? So, um, we all are in this sense of we can't do it ourselves. We need help from the outside. That this is actually the basis of all religion. This is the basis of prayer. Why should I pray for anything that I can just go do? And in fact, if that's the way that we look at it, then, the, then people would say, well, which is better, to, if you're sick, 
to go to the hospital or to pray. Better to go do something about it, to go to the hospital, you know, and let's just get mm-hmm. this thing. But, but hoping and praying for something on the outside to fix us up has very, very limited value. But this is the basis of religion, which means that people who take religion on to solve their problems generally don't get their problems solved because of religion or nobody else is going to do it for them. They've got to wind up doing it themselves. Okay, so this is the first doubt that we have to deal with as meditators, that we can do this. Okay, because in fact, I just mentioned the second doubt. Not only is it that I cannot get anybody else to do this, I've got to understand the second noble truth. The second noble truth proves beyond a shadow of a doubt to everybody that all of my own personal suffering came from my own personal greed, my own personal ignorance, and my own personal delusions. Which means I've got to fix my own personal delusions, my own personal greed, my own personal ill will. And when I do that, then I can be free from those things, but I can't expect a religion to get me free from my own delusions, my own ill will, and my own greed. But this is the place that we are. So now the beginning meditator is saying, oh, the meditation is going to do it for me. No, The meditation is not going to do it for you. You can use the meditation as a tool to do it yourself. And so uh, that's the second kind of, uh, the first kind of doubt, is the doubt of, can I do this? Uh, No, actually, uh, we've already made the decision, I can't do it. Therefore, we have to go find some help. So now that's that's the real loser's position. The lo- the real victim's position is, I cannot do it. I need help. But once we understand nobody's going to help us, now we come to the really big doubt. The very big doubt is, can I do it? Since I can't get anybody else to do it for me, can I do it? And this is basically what the practice of Anapanasati really is all about, is can you do it? The answer is, hot dog, you can. Look at it again. There you go. You can do this. Even you can throw that doubt out of your mind about you can't do it and take a deep breath and say, yes, I can. I can do this. This is when we begin to develop shraddha. Shraddha actually is a Pali word that uh, is wrongly translated as the word faith. Okay. And yet in, in uh, this practice of Anapanasati, there's very, very little room for faith. That in fact, you really don't need any faith at all because you've already got some evidence. You've already got some evidence because you've already practiced. You've got some evidence because you've seen people who are saying, yes, I've gotten value out of it, etc., like that. But religions, they say you've got to have faith because they can't give you any evidence about their story. And that the story winds up being the most important part because if you don't believe the story, then you won't believe that the story can help you. All right? 
But if we say, wait a minute, I don't need a story. I'm going to have to do it myself. I do not need a story. I need a process. I need a procedure. I need a method. Well, that's the method of the Eightfold Noble Path. And when we begin to understand the Eightfold Noble Path is, in fact, the right method, the right procedure, and using that, I can do this myself. And so those are the three layers of doubt. The first layer gets us on the, in the process. So um, that the first noble knowledge is, is that no matter how obstructed the mind is, including with this kind of doubt, I can throw that stuff out and come to a state of satisfaction. Air little bit of satisfaction it is, it's satisfaction. I'm satisfied. And so if we can recognize that we can do that, then that's when we have now changed the thing. That's, that's a tip over. Now we are no longer in doubt about can I do this or not. The answer is, of course, yes, I can. And that's the point where you are right now, the struggle of can you do this or not. Julia, can you clean out your mind? Yes, I can. Yes, you can. I know you can. <laughs> That's the whole point now, is, and it's subtle sometimes, but you can clean it out, and you can come back to Anapanasati. You can take a deep breath. You can remember, and you can come out of your own doubt. Uh-huh, I see you, doubt. Uh-huh, yeah, you tell me that this is, um, this is successful, but it's not successful enough. You tell me that this is satisfying, but it ain't satisfying enough. And then you say, aha, I see those thoughts. I see that. Let me throw those thoughts out, too. And when you throw those thoughts out, now you really do have some satisfaction of getting rid of those kind of doubts. I, you know you can do it. See. And so as we're practicing now the Eightfold to Noble Path, you begin to see that, yes, I can do it because I've also got the tools that I need to do it. That the Eightfold Noble Path and its uh, 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 toolkit of Anapanasati is, in fact, a method that will take me to freedom in a way that I don't see anywhere else. I have not seen any shaman or witch doctors. I haven't seen any snake oil salesmen. I haven't seen any Baptist preachers. I haven't seen anyone come up with a way to actually get out of our doubt. But here is a method where we can come out of the doubt is by checking it and seeing it and telling ourselves it ain't so. I can do this. This satisfaction is satisfying enough. And as it is, it's a skill to be developed, which means your satisfaction will grow, but not while you're clouding it with doubt, not while you're telling yourself it's not good enough. You have to answer, yes, of course, this is good enough satisfaction good enough for right now let me practice being satisfied instead of being in doubt about is it satisfying enough and this yeah. is the major point <laughs> <laughs> this is the major point for every meditator to come to is yes I can I can do this okay so, sorry, if we could just fall back real quick. Uh, you were, 
You had said the, the third form of doubt was what exactly? The third form of doubt is, do I have the tools to do it? Do I have the method? Okay. So the method, the method is, we do have the method. This is a method that works. In fact, the yeah. method works even if I doubt that I can do the method, it's still I know that the method will work. That but one was creeping do, in a little bit. That one was creeping in a little bit with uh, me not knowing if I was doing Anapanasati in the right way. Mm -hmm. Since there's like, you know, many different steps of it, we've only covered a few. And then I was like, should I go through each one, like step by step? Should I? Yeah. Well, the basics are there and the basics are in the sense that I'm, I, though I don't use the terminology, I'm really harping on step six of Anapanasati when I talk about satisfaction. Okay. To get into the state of success. To get ourselves into a state of this is good enough. That this is what we're looking for. I'm satisfied. This is good enough. Suka. I don't need gold. Lead is good enough. Okay. And that's the state of Suka. The state of Suka is, is that I'm pleased with what we have. And Dukkha is I'm not pleased with what I have. There's the doubt. The doubt is in the displeasure. Am I sure I'm getting enough of it? The answer is yes, this is enough. Let me keep examining. Keep looking. That's how we practice. Now, as you gain skill in this, you will begin to also notice things arising in the form of feelings or in the form of thoughts and that uh, to be able to keep things going you have to sustain the mind in that state of sukha okay okay and that when you're not in sukha that's the time to wake up to get yourself back into a state of sukha how quick can you do that are you going to let the mind wander away for five minutes or ten minutes or an hour or three weeks? <laughs> Are you going to catch it in five minutes or, or less? That's why yeah. we want to practice throughout the day is so we can practice catching the mind and bringing it into a state of satisfaction. That we're not trying at this time to go deep. There's no reason to try to go deep. What we need to go right now is bright. We need to get our tools really sharp. I guess where I was tripping up is I was trying to be satisfied, but then I I was skipping the part of being satisfied with the satisfaction. So I was like, okay, I, I have some satisfaction, but it's not enough. I need more satisfaction. Mm -hmm. But that's the old hindrance that you've been living with your whole life and ain't never enough, right? Right. How many times have you done that kind of thinking? Constantly. <laughs> and so now you're waking up to that kind of thought and said, no, this is good enough. This is fine. Mm -hmm. That's excellent for you to begin to recognize. Oh, you're just now you're picking up exactly what you've been doing all along. But you're picking up in, an, in a slightly different context. 
this is what we mean by insight. Oh yeah, that's that's suffering also. It's tricky. Yeah, for me, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> okay, Julian. Well, if you don't have any more questions, we'll finish now, and you can call in the next several days, and we'll continue on. Meanwhile, you keep practicing. You keep practicing okay. being satisfied. I will, yeah, and I'll make sure I'm more consistent with my seated meditation. I, I had my little experiment with not doing it, and uh, mm -hmm. I think there were clear, clear conclusions from that. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, practice, practice. Practice, I will. We'll see you. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.